Welcome. Uh, good morning, everybody. How are you feeling? Awesome. Good. I love the response. I love the response. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about my life and the intentional decisions and choices I've been trying to make as a follower of Jesus. See, I realized that there's a difference between being a believer in Jesus and being a follower. You realize that, right? You can believe in Jesus and say, I believe all this stuff. But being a follower means you have to actually go out and do the things that Jesus said. And I realized that Jesus was calling me to go. Jesus always calls us to go, to leave the comfortable, to leave the safety, to step out. Because that's where we really have to trust God. That's where we show that we believe in God. So we have to always go out, step out of the boat. That's where he's getting his disciples to go. And I remember being at a place in my life where I said, okay, God, I'm going to follow you, not just believe in you. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. I want your heart. God answered my, my prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. Don't say that to God unless you really mean it. God started directing my heart to the city. I, I was in rural Kentucky. I didn't know much about the city. To me, the city was a scary place. It's this big, back, dark place, this abandoned by God. But God was calling me there. Say, I want to show you things. I want, I want you to, I want you to find my heart for the city. Understand a piece of my heart you don't know yet. So 13 years ago, my wife and I, we moved into an under-resourced community on the, the west side of Chicago. And what we found was God was there. God was in the city. But it took us a while to, a while to see that. There was a, a pastor on the south side of Chicago. He gave me this great uh, analogy. He helped me see how God was in the city. He said, you know, a lot of times when we go to the city or to places where there's poverty or, or, or injustice, we, we put on these, these glasses, and he calls them, these are the brokenness of humanity glasses. And we go there, we put them on, and, and we see all the things that are wrong there. We see all the broken things. And then when we leave, we take those off, and we go back home, we put on a different set of glasses. These, are, these glasses are the, the glory of God glasses. And we see all the amazing things in our community and all the, the resources. And, all, and we're all saying, oh, I'm so thankful for all the things I have. But what he, he said is, that's not an accurate way to look. You miss things. So what you need to do is take the brokenness of humanity glasses and you, you smash them. And you take the glory of God glasses and you smash them. And you take one of each and you put them together and you make bifocals. Then you put those glasses on and you go to the city. And yes, you see the brokenness of humanity. But then you also see the glory of God. And you see where there's goodness. And you see where there are good people and what, and what people that are trying to, to do well. And then you go back home and then you look at your community and you say, yes, there are good things here. But then you also say, you know what, there's also brokenness here. And then you go in the mirror and you put those glasses on and you see, wow, there's brokenness in my life. There's things that aren't right. But then you also see the glory of God is in me. See, that's an accurate way to look at the world. There's, there's brokenness in everything. We're all broken. But we all also bear the image of God. And when we have the bifocals, all of a sudden we're on the same level with everybody else. We're all sinners in need of grace. My working definition of grace is being loved in our brokenness. 
And once you know that you're loved in your brokenness, all you want to do is go tell other people that they're loved in their brokenness. And you want to find them no matter where they are. So I felt God stirring at us to, to, to continue to, to, to reach out to our neighbors, to try to understand where they're coming from, to look with different eyes and have different glasses. So we started getting closer and closer. And, and that's the next step is following Jesus. When you follow Jesus, he's always going to the margins. And he's getting closer and he's taking you closer and closer. Early on when we were in Chicago, we went downtown. I, I run this organization called Mission Year. We take young adults into the city for a year to be good neighbors and to learn what does it really mean to follow Jesus in the city context. And we took them to the uh, downtown and there was a homeless sleep out. And the whole idea was that we we're going to sleep outside and we we're going to uh, get pieces of cardboard to make a, a bed. And, and we we're all going to do that to kind of understand what it's like to be homeless. And we were, we were doing that, and I started looking around, and all of a sudden I said, everyone here looks like me. We're all in our 20s. We're all middle class, and we're all wearing mall clothes. I said, if, if we're going to have a homeless sleep out, doesn't it make sense to do it with the homeless? So I gathered a, a group of our young people. I said, you want to you wanna go to where the homeless are actually sleeping? They said, Sure. That's what I like about young people. They're always willing to go, right? Do, they want to do something, right? So we go to Lower Wacker Drive. Anybody been to Chicago? So Lower Wacker Drive, it's this whole intricate maze underneath the city of winding roads. If you've ever seen Batman Begins, uh, there's a scene in Lower Wacker Drive. So we take them down to Lower Wacker Drive. And we come up to an encampment. And we see that there's rows of beds and people sleeping on, on mattresses outside on the ground. And before we could say anything, we come up to the first one. And a woman rushes over and she reaches out her hand and she says, Hi, I'm Foots. I'm the first lady of Lower Wacker Drive. <laughs> and we were welcomed right away. She said, How can I help you? So I kind of bumbled and said, uh, We're looking for a place to stay. Like I was checking into a hotel or something. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. This is my first time. She said, follow me. So we followed her and we passed the rows and rows of beds until we got to the end. And so I was like, okay, this makes sense. We're going to be on the end. You know, we just got here. But then she kept leading us farther into the heart of the city underneath. Now I'm starting to get concerned. Now I'm wondering, can I take her? <laughs> we went a couple, we went about a hundred more feet and then we turned a corner. And once we turned the corner, I realized what was happening. I saw just one bed by itself. See, Foots had seniority. And so she had this really nice piece of real estate and she was welcoming us into her home. So we entered in, sat down on a blanket and then she started asking us questions. She said, why are you guys here? And we said, well, you know, fearless leader, we're here because we needed a place to stay for the night. And she said, nah, why are you really here? She saw right through it. So I said, okay, we want to, Sleep here on the streets tonight to understand what the homeless have to go through and understand what it's like to be homeless. And she kind of scoffed and she looked at us and said, 
You think you could spend one night out on the street and understand what it's like to be homeless? I've been homeless 26 years. You don't know what it's like to be homeless. You don't know Jack. Except she didn't say Jack. <laughs> and we were cut to the core and we were humbled because she was right. We didn't know what it's like. How could we know what it was like? So I told her that. I said, we can't understand, but we want to as much as we possibly can. She said, y'all church people? You know what she was doing? Kind of, what's your agenda? Are you here to use me for your own religious gain here or your own purpose? I said, we're Christians, but we're not here with the church. We're here to just be with you. When I said that, she just softened. And she started opening up. She started sharing about how her daughter's birthday was coming up and she was so brokenhearted that she couldn't be there. She started crying and a mixture of sadness and shame. And we sat there on the blanket trying to comprehend the depths of 26 years of sorrow. She had a bag there. She had a, a black trash bag and she started reaching into it. She gave us each something. She gave us a pair of socks. She gave us a blanket. Probably... She gave us a fourth of what she owned, complete strangers. It was time for bed, so we set up the blanket a little ways away, and I had the most uncomfortable night's sleep I've ever had. The whole night there was lights like, like this shining throughout the night. Every joint in my body was sore from the concrete that we were trying to sleep on. We kept tossing and turning. Couldn't sleep for more than 10 minutes at a time. The stench of, of, the, of the city was absorbed into our clothes. I started wondering, started thinking like, now I know why people might be irritable. Like, if you're homeless, you can't sleep night after night. Finally made it through the night, woke up. Foots was already gone. So we made our way back through the city back to our warm apartments and our soft beds. We didn't say a word to one another. And I just kept asking myself, how, how could Foots endure these conditions for so long? And I felt like the Holy Spirit was nudging me, saying, you need to ask a different question. And the question came back to me, how could you as a society allow Foots to endure this for so long? And I started wrestling with, with this lesson that I haven't forgotten since. When it comes to the, the homeless, when it comes to those who are surviving, when it comes to those who are struggling on the brink, I don't know Jack. And it's best that I reserve my judgment until I've walked a little bit in their shoes. See, when I came to the city, I thought I understood why people were poor why people were struggling. But as I got to know people and as I got to hear their stories, I realized there's a very complex variety of reasons. Some people lost a job. Some people were mentally ill. Some people lost a breadwinner in their family. A lot of the women that we in interact with, they had to choose between staying in a domestic violence situation or being homeless on the streets. They're not, they don't have to choose, they're not choosing between good and bad, they're choosing between bad and worse. 
as I got to know people's stories in our neighborhood, different people who were struggling, different situations, I started realizing that I can't just care for those who, who, are, who are struggling. I can't just serve people and, and do charity. I have to start asking the bigger questions. Why are they, why are they struggling in the first place? We all know the analogy, give someone a fish, they'll eat for a day, right? Teach someone to fish and they'll eat for a life. You, you know that. Nice. Okay. But that doesn't go far enough. You see, you give someone a fish, that's charity. And you know what? People appreciate that fish for that day. Charity is necessary. If you teach someone to fish, that's development. You're building skills. That's also important. But there's a third area that we have to ask. Who owns the pond? Does everybody have access to the pond? What if the pond in the neighborhood has been shipped overseas? Right? You with me? What if the pond in one part of town is stocked full of fish, but the other pond is not? What if the, the fishing equipment is outdated? You see, I started realizing that we not only need to do charity and not only need to, to, need to do development, we've got to do justice. We've got to make sure that there's equal access in, to the same resources. And I realized that in the neighborhood where I was living, it was a much different reality than what I grew up with. When I grew up, I had schools that had textbooks that were up to date. We had music and arts classes and, and fitness classes, recreation. And a lot of those things have been cut in the city, in, in the neighborhoods where, where we live and work. And I started thinking, I started wondering, God, do you care about justice? Do you have anything to say? And I started going to scripture and I started realizing that God cares deeply about justice. And I started reading the Bible and it started jumping off the page. That there's over 2,000 verses in scripture that talk about God's heart for the poor and the oppressed and for justice. I remember Jesus on the Sermon on the, on the Mount and says, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. Have you ever wondered why? Why does Jesus lift up the poor? Why does it prioritize so much? It's because Jesus knows... The world, as it is, is tilted toward the powerful, toward the strong, toward the rich. That those are the people, they have it, they have it all together. They have what they need, right? They don't have it all together. They have what they need. So while the world tilts that way, God tilts the other way. And God calls his church to be advocates for the poor. And the weak to stand with them because they're the ones who have no voice. They're the ones who need someone to stand with them. There's passages like Matthew 25 that take it even farther. Jesus says, not only are you to, to, to love the poor, to reach out to the poor, but when you do that, when you whatever you do to the poor, you're actually doing it to me. Jesus identifies. With the marginalized. And if you look through Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the homeless, the, the naked, the stranger, 
and those in prison. I didn't really understand what, what it means to welcome the stranger until I took a group of young people to live for a year in a Mexican-American neighborhood on the west side of Chicago. And on their very first day, we pulled the van in, and we were unloading the van, and they were, they were going to take their stuff into the third floor apartment. Before their bags hit the concrete, their new neighbors started running out of their houses and offering to help take their bags up. And they were saying, oh, welcome, welcome. They were taking their bags, and even this little girl was like struggling with the, you know, a huge suitcase. Took it up all three flights of stairs. And afterwards, I sat down with the team and I said, do you realize what just happened here? And I asked them a question. I said, now I want you to think about something. If this was reversed, if they were moving into your neighborhood back home, would they be welcomed in the same way? And sadly, they all said, no, they wouldn't. So I'm learning what it means to welcome the stranger from strangers. Jesus says, visit those in prison. I really didn't know much about the prison system. I hadn't been in a prison until I moved to Chicago. And I started really realizing that a lot of the folks in our neighborhood are impacted by the prison system. I started working, mentoring youth, and a lot of them have incarcerated loved ones. And I realized that I started studying the system and seeing how it has a destructive impact in their lives. And I, and I found out that in Chicago, black youth are 46 times more likely to be arrested and detained than white youth for the same crimes. 46 times more likely. And I started saying, this doesn't seem just. I started going to the prison and building relationships with folks. And I ended up bringing some of our young people to the prison to visit. And one girl in particular, Emily came. Emily had a, had a very, she was from Texas. I don't, I don't need to say more there. She had a very clear idea of who was in prison and why they were there. And she, so we were going to the prison, so she, she thought, you know, we're going to go there and we're going to give them God, right? So we went up to one cell. We got to go right to the cells. We went to the cell of Eddie. And Eddie evangelized her the whole time. He was talking about Jesus. He was talking about discipleship. He was talking about where his, his struggles and what he's working on. The whole time she just sat there listening, listening. By the, by the end, we, we reached our hands through the bars and we were praying together. Tears were just streaming down Emily's face. Once we got outside, I said, what was going on? What happened? She's like, I realized there are my brothers in there. I thought people in prison, I just thought they were criminals, they were convicts. But that's my brother. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. To step out, to go, to find out that the, the stranger, the poor, they're actually our brothers and sisters. They're not to be feared, they're not to be despised, they're being loved. My friend in Philly, Shane Claiborne, says, it's not that we don't care about the poor, it's that we don't know them. And part of our task is to go, to get closer, to hear their stories, to build relationship, and even to become family. Haley is one of our, uh, she came to serve with us as well for a year. And she was, we encourage people to get to know your neighbors. And even that is a revolutionary thing. 
And they, they go out and they, they, they you know, knock on doors and say, hey, we just moved in. Wanted to say hi. Sometimes they bring brownies by. And she started to get to know Miss Wright. Miss Wright was the elderly African-American woman. And they, Haley was white. And they struck up a, a friendship and Haley would stop by there on her ways to work and they'd talk for a little bit. Then she would come back on Saturdays and talk some more. During that year, Miss Wright's husband passed away. So Haley was able to be with her as she was grieving and going through that. They continued the friendship. Haley ended up staying in Chicago. And a few years later, her dad passed away. And then Miss Wright was there for her and said, come on, stay over at, our, at my house. Let me cook you some, some meals. Let me grieve with you. They developed this relationship. It's this mutual relationship, right? Where they're both giving and receiving, loving and being loved. Ten years later, Haley goes over to Miss Wright's house every week. She hasn't missed a week for ten years. Jesus is calling us to go, to widen our circle, to realize that to love our neighbor means to love in all the ways we love ourselves. That's the definition of biblical justice: is to love your neighbor in all the ways you love yourself. And I know. We love ourselves well. I'll speak for myself. I know I love myself well. Right? I want shelter, but not any shelter. I want a, a, a pretty nice, decent shelter. I want food, but not just any food. I want healthy food. And sometimes not so healthy. I want clothes, but not any clothes. I want to make sure they're comfortable or maybe even cool. I want education, but not any education. I want quality education. I want health care for my family and for me in case something happens. Biblical justice. Being intentional about following Jesus means we're trying to love our neighbor in all the same ways we love ourselves. And that our circle is widened. And our, and our idea and our definitions of family get bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually it covers the globe. Scripture says God so loved the world. If you want to get God's heart, you have to have a heart for the world. Martin Luther King has a quote. It says, life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? That's the message that John Maxwell was talking about, right? How do we add value? How, how do we... Live our life in a way that's not just about ourselves and our family, but about all families, about becoming family. At the end of the day, it's not going to be how many wins or losses we had. It's not going to be about how much we had in our bank account. It's not going to be about how much stuff we've collected. It's going to be how have we impacted others? What have we done? to bless another life. I want to close with a prayer. And I, I didn't do this in the first service, and I felt, you know, kind of led to do it for this one. I'm talking about going. I'm giving some big challenges here. And I'm telling you, like, this is what I, this is my journey. Your journey is going to be different. 
And there's a host of ways to, to reach out, to hear people's stories. And I can't wait to hear what your stories are going to be. But I, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray that you would be moved with compassion to have God's heart, to go into the world. So if you're feeling like you want to, if you want to feel like, yes, I want to, I want to go. I don't even know what that might look like. Or, yes, I want to, I've been living in fear for a long time to step out and try this thing. Or I've been thinking about this like, I'll just ask you to, when we pray, if you stand up, and I just want to pray over you. And it's no, if you don't want to stand, that's fine. But I, I realize that I think we need a response, right? Because if we can't get out of our seat, we can't get out of the boat, right? So if, you, if you're feeling like God is, is tugging on your heart to, to love somebody that you have had a hard time loving or to go somewhere that, that you're not sure you want to go or that you want to be a follower, not just a believer, um, invite you to stand and uh, I'll pray for you. God, we thank you that you love us in our brokenness. And we thank you that you love the world in its brokenness. Thank you for using us, wanting to use us to be a blessing for other people. I remember a time I didn't think I would be able to be used at all. I was in shame and guilt. But you loved me in my brokenness. God, if anyone's carrying shame, we're going to set that down today because you love us, even in our darkest place. You have loved us. It says, while we were still sinners, you died for us. So we know you love us. And now you're calling us to go. There's so much fear in our world, and we feel that. God, I pray that you would overcome our fear. It says, love casts out fear. Lord, give us your heart for the world. Give us courage to step out. Lord, we know that you're calling us to go, not to make our lives miserable, not to make us give up things that we like, but to have a fuller, richer life. I pray for everybody in this room, God, that you would move us, that your spirit would direct us to the places we need to go, the people we need to have the conversations with. Help our eyes get changed so that we can see the glory of God even in the most broken situation. And even call it out in people. I see this in you that you don't even see in yourself. God, I thank you for this sacred moment. I thank you that we are going to live intentionally. We're going to follow you. Lead us, God. Your name we pray. Amen. So I know Sean heard from God because stay standing. I know that was a holy moment because the song we're going to sing is, I am no longer a slave to fear. And by the way, I stood. Uh, I told you guys that story when I went to the South Bronx for the first time with Sarah Frazier. I met her in, for lunch in Manhattan because I was a chicken. And when she took me to the Bronx, I had to leave 10 o'clock at night and I had to go over and ask her to walk me to the subway. Because I had fear and I looked at the city the same way and I grew up in the city. God wants us to add value to people. Remember we started this series, I drew you that chart to be adequately challenged. And I said that line was like this. 
If we're walking with God, something's got to be uphill. If you're following Jesus, something's got to be uphill. There is nowhere in the Bible where an angel comes down and says, I got an easy thing for you to do. No, angels come and say, fear not. Why? Because it's going to be hard and uphill. So what a day. What a day we've had. Let's sing this together when it's over. If you want to talk to Sean, and always bless people like Sean because, you know, he's uphill every single day. Uh, Sean has a book called Loving the City. If you like John's talk, uh, they're $3 out there. His book's also out there. Guys, have a blessed day. Let's sing together.